Hello and welcome to Story Radio. I hope you're all keeping safe and well in these strange times. We have a new short story for you, Mock Crab by Martin Nathan. I hope you enjoy it. Mock Crab by Martin Nathan. Read by Luke Blackwood. We'd been queuing for three hours at the border, and we'd given names to all the passengers in the other cars, waving and shouting as we passed them again and again, back and forth, a hundred, a thousand times. We'd memorised their number plates, made words with the letters, performed calculations with the digits, and then my brother Michael finished his comic. He folded it up, then read it again out loud, just to be annoying, and asked questions like, Do tiny people really live in your brain? And I said, What brain? And flicked him in his temple. Our mother told him he'd be sick if he kept reading, even though we were only moving at one mile an hour, and he gazed out of the window and said, Aren't we queuing for the wrong country? That sign says Holland, not Belgium. Definitely no tiny people living in there, I said, peering into Michael's head as we crossed the border. Bugs and dead space. I was just happy to be in a different country, even if it all looked the same. Michael pulled a strange monster face and he lurched across me to be sick through the window. I stuck my head out and watched it run down the side of the car, and over the wheel arch. A line of chewed up salty licorice on a cream VW Beetle. Why is Michael always being sick? I asked. Our mother ignored me, looked ahead and muttered, I said it was the left fork. And my father stayed tight-lipped and pushed the map away because he knew he was right. Turn the chicken on its back and work your fingers under the skin, until it comes away from the flesh, making sure it does not tear. My mother had her fingers in her ears, reciting the recipe above the engine noise because it helped her to remember. She was doing a cord and blue cookery course which involved a lot of chicken surgery, and they had a big final celebration meal coming up. How can we be in the wrong country? my father said. They speak the same language. The Belgians speak Dutch too, Michael said. And French, especially when they want to argue, I said. It looks the same, our mother said, looking out at the endless lines of factories and industrial parks. If you'd taken that turn, she whispered. Look, Quentin, Alice and Robottom are waving at us, Michael said. What do you think they call us? Stupid one, stupid two and stupid three? They can't see Kevin. Our baby brother lay behind in the hollow of the parcel shelf sleeping. I poked Michael in the ribs and flicked baby Kevin's ear so he began to cry. I never touched him, I said, before mother accused me. Kevin didn't speak. He was a late developer, and he wouldn't speak for another three years, but he could cry. Just shut up a minute. Our mother bit her lip, looking for her watch. What time is it in England? We drove all across Europe during those summers, the five of us in a VW Beetle that was so noisy that you had to shout even when the exhaust didn't have holes in it, and it was so full with the five of us. All of our stuff was packed in a suitcase on a roof rack wrapped in tarpaulin that flapped like a giant wing in the wind. Why have a car if you can't use it? My father said, as he planned our trips. The more countries we went to, the better, but we always got lost. My father thought that with one glance at the map that he could remember the route, and pride would not let him look again, or listen to our mother's suggestions, until we ended up searching for places to stay at night, in desolate towns with shutters on every window. That was if we made it to the town at all. My father maintained the car himself, mostly during our trips, and we spent hours watching his legs twitch as he lay underneath, shouting, 
Gum gum, 8mm spanner, aluminium tape. And none of us wanted to be the one who made a mistake. This country, whichever country it was, at least offered some rain. And I stuck my head out to watch the raindrops make holes in my brother's sick on the side of the car. Why do they put salt in the licorice here? Take particular care around the neck, where the skin is thinnest it is liable to tear. When complete, put in the fridge and proceed with the boning. If the skin tears, you will need to stitch it up, but this spoils the professional look. My father was still blaming our mother for it being the wrong country, and she covered her ears. She knew how to turn a chicken into a pile of bones and a floppy lump of flesh, and we were finally moving again, and any country was better than the last. My brother wanted to stop for a pee and wash his mouth out, and I made fun of him even though I wanted one too. My mother checked her watch. Stop, stop here. My father pulled over and she ran to the phone box. Our father said that we have to have lunch, even though it was only 11.30, and the place was a food mat where you put your money in a slot and opened a little window with your food already on a plate. I chose a long grey sausage, greyer than my brother's face, and green mash, and as I took it a mysterious gloved hand replaced it from behind. Why do you keep puking? I said to Michael, and he said because they put salt in the licorice which no one expected. Why does he keep puking? I asked. Our mother was on the phone still and our father was holding the map but resisting the urge to open it. Just give me anything, I don't care, she had said, and I got her a bright orange wristle. When she came back, she looked sick too. I could tell my father was worried. The exhaust had been making that popping sound again, and we had to make the ferry by five. Save some for Michael, my mother said, wrapping a piece of my sausage in a serviette. Can't he get his own food? Did you get an answer? my father said. She nodded and he went outside to wrap more tape around the silencer. As we set off, she passed my father a note. He glanced down at it as he accelerated. Michael peered over her shoulder. What's leukemia? he said. Mix the chopped flesh with breadcrumbs, parsley and butter. Stuff it into the skin, sew it up tightly and roast. Ideal for a special dinner, party or family celebration. Our mother kept mouthing those recipes as we drove, as if she was facing the most important exam of her life. When we took trips in Britain, at least, we knew we were in the right country, even though some places felt like we had left the island completely. We drove to Portland Bill, where there is only one road in, and you drive as far as you can and never get lost. Michael and I clambered over those huge lumps of Portland stone, and our father told us how they used it for buildings all around the world. Grand museums, towers... I worried about Portland Bill disappearing, block by block, until there was just a big black hole. Michael climbed down, and then he disappeared. Where's Michael? You're supposed to be looking after him! My parents were shouting for him for ages. I found him deep down in the gap between two rocks, and the sea was splashing around beneath him, gulping and sighing. Are you stuck? He shook his head. Are you scared? I grabbed his hand and pulled him up. We made our way up the surface of the rock, never looking down at the drop, as the black water sloshed about in the gap, wanting to pull us both down. We went for lunch in a flimsy wooden shack that shuddered with each gust of wind and the sandwiches had so much crab it fell out onto the plate, onto our laps and everywhere. I could still taste it hours later, when my brothers were both asleep. It was Michael's birthday. As it's a special meal, you can choose what you have, our mother said. You like chicken, don't you? Crab, he said. Are you sure you wouldn't rather have chicken? My mother's cooking had ambition, but she had absorbed her mother's wartime spirit of economy, 
and made substitutions for all the expensive ingredients, resulting in a collision of mismatched ingredients, arguing on a plate. Are you going to help me cook? Can't Michael do it? It's his birthday. Anyway, he's with your father. Are you going to do that thing again when you sew up a chicken like a sausage? Michael and I speculated about his present for weeks. Ten felt like an age deserving of a special present. The shop had a kit of the Ark Royal. The box was yard long and it had planes to build as well. That's what you're getting, I told him. I'm sure of it. I was setting him up for disappointment, because our family didn't make much of birthdays, and if you had some special gift in mind, you could be sure you'd end up with something practical, like a pencil case. This year was different. It's a special birthday, she kept saying, hugging Michael with tears in her eyes, and a big box appeared on top of the wardrobe. When he unwrapped it and pulled out the Ark Royal kit with a full set of Humbrol paints, he looked around as if expecting a trick. He checked the box to make sure it wasn't empty. Everything was there. Why? I said to my mother. I was angry. I went into the kitchen and stabbed the wrapped up chicken with a knife. A blob of chicken blood popped out through the hole. Michael and our father went into the front room, and I watched them building the Ark Royal, sticking the bits together. They never spoke, other than asking for the glue or white spirit. They just built it bit by bit, as if they'd always worked together. I held up Kevin so he could see through the glass in the door, but he wasn't interested. By late afternoon they called us in to behold the wonder of their construction. There's still a few bits to finish, Michael said, but that's pretty much it, apart from the painting. Even Kevin seemed awestruck. Our mother closed the kitchen door and she was talking to herself as she cooked. I put my ear to the door and pulled faces and Kevin laughed. My grandmother arrived with Aunt Sylvia. We liked Aunt Sylvia, but when she hugged us we could sense her desperation. She always held us too hard and too long, only breaking her hold to take another drag on her cigarette, and when she took us for a ride we had to hold our breath as the steering wobbled when she used the glowing red ring to light up again. She gave us cigarettes in return for going to the shop for her, and she told our mother that trying cigarettes young would put us off smoking when we were older. Aunt Sylvia laid the table, and then she ruffled Michael's hair. Ah, oh, he's such a sweetie, she said. And while she was busy, I took a couple of cigarettes from her pack and tucked them into my pocket. Soon she finished her drink and began crying, so when my mother called me I was glad to escape. My mother gave me a bag of pocked skin and bones to hold, while she dropped the stinking entrails and translucent eggs into it. Take it out to the bin for me, she said. The Romans use entrails to tell the future, I said. I don't need entrails for that, she said, and banged the roasting tray into the oven. Where's the crab? I said. He wanted crab. My mother was mixing up grated cheese with vinegar. Her good housekeeping recipe book lay open on the table. Beef broth, junket, toast soup. Tucked inside was a sheet of blue writing paper, a recipe for mock crab in my grandmother's wavy hand. Mixing cheese, reconstituted egg, breadcrumbs and mustard with malt vinegar makes an economical substitute for crab. She smiled and put her finger to her lips. My aunt was done with crying in the living room, and my grandmother had stopped talking after her second glass of sherry, which was a relief for us all. My aunt said how it was a special birthday for a special boy, and I ruffled Michael's hair and said, Ah, what did you choose for your special meal, birthday boy? My mother carried in a plate piled high with sandwiches. Michael reached over, and our mother didn't tell him off. As he chewed the sandwich, his face became fixed in a grin. Crab! 
he said. That's what I asked for. The filling fell out onto the plate, a luminous yellow blob. He put his finger in it, looking as if he might be sick again. I chewed my sandwich, thinking about the time I'd saved his life, and how he'd never been properly grateful. Everyone talked about his doctors all the time, and he got all the good stuff and never thanked people. Michael began to cry, and Aunt Sylvia mouthed silent words to my mother. Does he know? She said. Do you know how you kill a crab? I said to Michael. You can just boil it to death, but then its legs drop off, so you have to stab it right in its head till it dies. It has dead man's fingers, and if you eat those, you curl up and die. I held my hand up to show the position your fingers might adopt in these death throes. Michael's face was grey and sad. He ran to the bathroom. Is he still being sick? Aunt Sylvia said. Then she mouthed, What have you told him? No one really wanted chicken, but our mother held the plate up as if expecting applause. I could not forget those jelly legs rolling the ammonia smell of entrails on my fingers. My mother said it was a sophisticated dish, and maybe we were too young for it, but no one ate it. I stacked the plates up, scraping the chicken and congealed paste into one big lump. I sat down on the table, and the cigarettes snapped in my pocket, so I twirled the strands of tobacco around my fingers, thinking about mock crab, relishing the moment when I could tell Michael the recipe. I would whisper it in his ear just as he fell asleep. I would keep waking him up. Cheddar cheese and vinegar mock crab. My mother screamed from the front room and screamed again. We rushed in. Kevin was sitting on the floor, with the broadest of grins, with the debris of the smashed dark royal in a circle around him. That was Mock Crab, written by Martin Nathan and read by Luke Blackwood. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in one month with a new short story for you to listen to. Meanwhile, stay safe and well. Goodbye.